If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Kids, if you did not get a, um, a uh, what am I trying to say, a kid's worship notes sheet out there. Uh, Sarah Elizabeth put some time into making those. They're on this back table. If you'd like to get one of those, some spots to, to draw some pictures and take some notes, feel free to grab one of those. But Matthew chapter 6, as we continue to think on the Lord's Prayer. Do you know what a pendulum is? A pendulum is a, is a body that, this is the definition I took off the internet, a body suspended from a fixed point so that it can swing back and forth under the influence of gravity. So this is a pendulum. I'm probably not supposed to do this, so don't tell anyone. But this is a pendulum, right? It's fixed at one point and it swings back and forth. And it makes me feel like a rock star. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, have you ever been on a swing set? If you're on a swing set, then you are a pendulum. You are swinging back and forth from a fixed point. The most well-known pendulums are found in clocks, big grandfather clocks. And that pendulum swings back and forth to regulate the clock's movement and to help it keep perfect time. Sometimes we use a, the picture of a pendulum to illustrate how on certain topics of discussion we need to swing back and forth between two seemingly opposite ideas that help us to have right perspective and balance on something. The idea is that if we can keep these two seemingly distant thoughts in mind, we'll actually understand something better. And it's in this way, I think, that the Lord's Prayer can function like a pendulum for our prayer lives, regulating how we speak to God and what we ask of him. The, these words of the, that the Lord has taught us to pray, they help us to see God's nearness on one side, but they also help us to see God's exalted nature on the other side. They help us to be concerned with what God is concerned with, while also being able to honestly express our needs to the Lord. And as we'll see today, the Lord says that the starting point for our pendulum, the place it begins to swing down from, should be God's holiness and his separateness. And that our petitions should firstly be concerned with what concerns God the most. Let's begin by reading the Lord's Prayer together from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. If you have a, an ESV version, that's the version we'll be reading. If you don't, you can take your bulletin and you can find the words right there on the front. And we'll just read that together from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, verse 9, to pray then like this. Let's say this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our task today is to consider the prayer, Hallowed be thy name. But first, I want us to think about the first three petitions there as a whole. Uh, last Sunday, we saw that we begin the Lord's Prayer with the words, Our Father in heaven. And we talked about how that reminds us that God is personal, loving, and to be honored. But he's also in heaven. He's full of great glory, and he's able to do anything that we ask of him. We're reminded that we pray our Father, that we are children of God, we're part of his family, 
that we are the people of God that have been brought near by Jesus and that we are to live as his redeemed people in the world as we wait for the fullness of the kingdom. And yet also that we are creatures created by the God of heaven. And so as we shape our minds around who God is and who we are, what then does Jesus say about the kind of petitions, the kind of requests that we should bring to the Father? As we said last week, there are essentially six petitions in the Lord's Prayer uh, split into two groups of three. And as the pendulum of these petitions swings, we see that that we begin with God and with his concerns first. And then we swing over and we move on to our own. We move from, as John Stott says, a concern for God's glory in relation to his name. A, a, A concern for God's glory in relation to his name, rule, and will over then to a concern for our daily provision, our relationships with others, and our holiness. There's wisdom here, isn't there? Because by beginning with God's concerns, we allow his desires, God's desires to shape our own. We announce to our hearts and to anyone who might be listening to to our prayers that God and his glory are of first importance in our prayers. If we enter into prayer with wrong motives or with selfish concerns, then these first three petitions are going to correct that. They're going to help us to think first about what God is concerned with. Now, there may be times where we're tempted to bypass these moments of praise and adoration and move directly into confession or maybe asking God for something specific. And I I think certainly God hears those prayers that begin simply, Father, forgive me or Father, help me. Anne Lamott has wisely said, here are the two best prayers I know. Help me, help me, help me, and thank you, thank you, thank you. But I think as a regular practice, Jesus wisely instructs us to begin our prayers with a wider vision of who God is and how he is working in the world so that that vision of the Father in heaven will then shape all of the prayers that follow. Though distinct, these these first three petitions, they kind of overlap, They speak of God's name, his kingdom, and his will, and thereby they are all in some sense asking that God would be glorified, that God would be praised and exalted. From from the very beginning, the Lord's Prayer focuses us out of our, it takes us out of our own heads and into acknowledging that God is at work and, and his desires and will are of first importance. I don't know about you, but it's easy to fall into the trap of putting myself first because I'm usually thinking a lot about myself. Our brains naturally say, of course I should get the last cookie. Of course I should be in the fastest line at Kroger because what I need to do next is most important. And I should get to decide what movie we watch tonight because I've got the best taste in movies. We think about ourselves so often and so we make decisions that way. But to pray these first three petitions, it gets us out of our own heads and it takes us into the mind of God. These petitions help us to put God's glory and God's desires above our own. They say in the words of another well-known prayer of Jesus, not my will, God, but your will be done. They allow us to lay aside the pride of pharisaical prayers that seek our own glory, kingdom, and will, and instead we start to seek God's glory, God's kingdom, and God's will. Does prayer change things? Yes. In God's The mystery of God's providence, prayer does change things. And one of the primary things it changes is our own hearts. 
in addition to this longing for God's glory, the other thing that unites these first three petitions is the phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. I think we often connect that simply with God's will in the last of these three petitions, but it would seem that, that this phrase is linked to all three. So the prayer is, is, may your name be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're introduced into, to another pendulum within the prayer Within, within prayer and within life itself, namely this idea of the already and the not yet of God's glory, kingdom, and will. You might think of this idea about the already, not yet in terms of gathering as a church right now. Are we back to having in-person services? Yes, because we're all here. But in another sense, as we miss our handshakes and hugs, as we miss kids' classes and potluck, we feel like in some ways we've not yet resumed our church services. We, we're meeting together already, but not yet in the fullest sense. And in a similar, similar way, we pray these prayers knowing that they are already a reality. God's name is already hallowed and set apart. He is already king over all. And his sovereign will is already always happening in the world. But on the other hand, we pray these prayers knowing that they are not fully realized in our world and in all realms of creation. There is a not yet to each of these things that we're asking God for. And we long to see them here and now in our world. There's part of our prayers that is ever looking forward to the day of the Lord, to the return of Christ when heaven breaks into earth in a way unlike anything we have seen up to this point. So as we're thinking about these first three petitions, let me just say something in summary about them. What, what do we see with these as a whole? We see that we should begin our prayers with praise. We should begin our, our prayers with praise. Second, we see that, that we should be, begin with God's concerns and allow that longing for God's glory to shape our concerns. Begin with praise. Begin with God's concerns so that they can shape our own concerns. And as we pray, we're praying with this tension of the already and the not yet of the kingdom. We're letting that swing back and forth in our minds and our hearts. But what about the first petition? What about this first petition? Hallowed be your name. Let me begin by defining a couple terms. Hallow or hallowed and name. So hallowed, not, not hollowed or hollow, like a, like a hollowed out log. That's not what we're saying. It's kind of hard. You got to really pronounce that word. To hollow out something is to take away what's in the middle. It's to take out the core of it. But to hollow something is different. And in some ways, it's the opposite of, hollow, of, of hollowing out something. To hollow something is to identify what is the core and what's true about it. To hollow anything is to make it holy and to treat it as holy. Hearing that word, you might think about All Saints Day or what some call All Hallows' Eve or Halloween. Halloween is a bit different here in the U.S., but in many nations, it's a day to honor and to celebrate the saints or simply the, the dead to hallow them. When I think of the word hallow, the Gettysburg Address comes to mind. At the dedication of this cemetery on the grounds of the Civil War battle, of Gettysburg, Abraham Lincoln said this in part, you know the first part well, 
Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that the nation, that, that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. And then he says, but in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. Lincoln was there with others to dedicate, to consecrate, and to hallow that place where around 50,000 people had died. But he says that they had already done so, that their blood had already hallowed the ground. We could say in a similar way that we do not hallow God's name in the sense that we make it holy through our words and our actions. Rather, we acknowledge the glory and the majesty and the character of God in our prayers. We, we set him apart in our minds and in our hearts through our words, and we pray that all people would do the same, that all people would hallow God's name. To hallow God's name is the opposite, as, as Trevor mentioned, of profaning his name. We heard those words in our reading from Ezekiel 36, where God's people are rebuked for profaning God's name, for calling themselves his people, but worshiping falsely and sinning against him. This is what we're commanded against in the Ten Commandments when we're told to not take the Lord's name in vain, to not profane him. Having just called God our Father, we see that we are identifying ourselves as God's children. We share his name. And so for God's people, especially, but even for those created in his image, to act or to speak or to think in ways that are contrary to God's character is to profane our family name. Our actions in life, they reflect on our earthly families. When we act wrongly, it, it, it profanes our family name. And even more so, our actions as Christians, they reflect on our Heavenly Father. Are we profaning His name? Or are we hallowing His name? That brings us to the second term, to define which is name. One of the first questions we learn how to answer is, what is your name? Maybe, how old are you might be the first question you get asked as a kid. But the other one is, what is your name? A name identifies who we are. It's, it's how we set ourselves apart from others. But, but a name is also shorthand for who we are. I might say to someone, do you know Trevor Wallace? And in asking that, I'm not simply asking if they know his name. I'm, I'm asking if they know who he is if they know about him, if they know his character and his personality. And so too, for, for all of us, our name is shorthand for who we are. The same is true for God. John Stott writes, the name stands for the person who bears it, for his character and activity. So God's name is God himself as he is in himself and has revealed himself. So when we say that we want God's name to be hallowed, we are saying that we want people to know who God is in reality. We want his greatness, his character, his mighty deeds to be proclaimed throughout the world. We are longing not simply for people to know that there is a God, but we want all people to know 
His greatness and His glory, His goodness and His love, His power and His might. We want Him to be set apart in the world as, as, a, in the world as a whole and in individual hearts as the one true God who deserves all praise and all glory. So having defined those terms, we should ask again, what are we praying for in this first petition of the Lord's Prayer? That's the, uh, actually the 101st question of the Westminster Catechism. It says, what do we pray for in the first petition? And the answer given is this. In the first petition, which is, hallowed be thy name, we pray that God would enable us and others to glorify him in all that whereby he maketh himself known and that he would dispose all things to his own glory. What are we asking? We, we, are, we are asking, we are desiring that we and all people throughout the whole world would glorify God and that God would use all things to reveal his glory in this world and that it would happen here on earth just as it is in heaven. Another helpful quote, this one from John Calvin, who said, it must be our desire that God may receive the honor which is his due, that men may never think or speak of him without the greatest reverence. We are in the petition enjoined to ask not only that God would vindicate his sacred name from all contempt and insult, but also that he would compel the whole human race to reverence it. As I think about this, a couple things start to emerge. First, this is a prayer against the profaning of God's name. To say, hallowed be thy name, is a prayer against the profaning of God's name. Think of someone that you love, someone that you admire, that you think is great. And now imagine that you're somewhere in the public and you hear someone talking bad about them or mocking them or saying untrue things about them. If that's someone you really love, then you're naturally going to want to correct them. You would be filled with a passion to vindicate the name of this person that you love. And how often God's name is profaned in our world. How often his character is misrepresented and he is mocked by those who know nothing of him and who are far from him. Professing to be wise, they reveal that they are fools and they go as far as denying his very existence. So to pray, hallowed be thy name, is to pray against all those who would speak falsely about who our God is. And yet, sadly, it's also true that God's people fail to hallow his name in the world. We claim his name as our own, but often we act in ways that desecrate God's character. And to pray, hallowed be your name, is to pray that our own false, our own untrue representations of God would be no more. It's a prayer that will lead us to proper confession and repentance of our sins because our focus is first and foremost on grieving that we have sinned against God, that we have misrepresented him through our actions, that we have defamed his name. That cause us to ask forgiveness, not simply for our sin, but for forgiveness for defaming and failing to hallow God's name. So this prayer is a prayer against the profaning of God's name. And secondly, on the positive end, it's a prayer for the reverence and worship of God's name. It's a prayer for the reverence and the worship of God's name. John Stott again. 
His name is already holy in that it is separated from and exalted over every other name. But we pray that it may be hallowed, treated as holy, because we ardently desire that due honor may be given to it. That is to him whose name it is in our own lives, in the church, and in the world. That gets practical, doesn't it? Let's follow Stott's lead. Let's, let's think about those expanding circles. Those are so helpful when we're praying. Where do, we want God's, where do we want God's name to be revered and worshiped? Where do we want his name to be hallowed? First, in us individually. When I'm praying, hallowed be your name, I'm starting with me. Augustine wrote of this first petition. He said, once we were not holy and we were made holy by his name, but he is always holy and his name always holy. Therefore, he says, it is for ourselves, not for God that we pray. Hallowed be your name, God, in me. This prayer forces us to ask, in what areas of my life am I longing to see God glorified? How might we see his character shine forth in us as we, relying on him, seek to let his goodness and his love and his justice and his mercy and his holiness and the like shine forth from us? Thinking practically about this as you're praying through the Lord's Prayer and you get to the part where you say, hallowed be your name, you might, you might pray through your day. You might say, Lord, be hallowed in, in my waking, in my work, in my parenting, in my interactions, and walk through the different steps of your day and ask that God would be set apart and seen as holy in your life. You might think about your physical body and you would ask that God would be hallowed that God would be hallowed in, in, in what our minds think, in what our lips say, in what our eyes look at, in what our hands do, and where our feet go, and so on. But remember, as we pray, hallowed be your name, we begin not by asking that everyone else would hallow God's name, but we ask that his name would be hallowed in us first. From there, we move on to ask that his name would be hallowed in the church in the church, from us individually, then to the church. We're reminded again that we begin the prayer, how? Our Father. And so we're asking that God's people in our church and all throughout the world would shine like a city on a hill, illuminating to all people the true nature of our Father. We're asking that in the midst of the darkness, God's children would be the light of truth, peace, justice, compassion, generosity, holiness, and all that our God is, that that would be seen in the church how often the church has been tainted and corrupted and it looks more like the world than it looks like the Father. Glorifying ourselves and pushing our own agendas instead of God's. But this prayer asks that God and God alone would be set apart as great and glorious, not us. So we can pray for one another individually. We can pray for our church. We can, we can pray that God's name, that the name of Christ would be hallowed in all these places. And in that, we are even praying that God's name would be hallowed in the world. We want God's name to be hallowed and set apart in the whole world. We long that the earth would be filled with the correct knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. Who do we want to praise the Lord? We want everything that has breath to praise the Lord. 
I think N.T. Wright gets at this when he says that this petition leads us to cry out, may you be worshipped by your whole creation. May the whole cosmos resound with your praise. May the whole world be freed from injustice, disfigurement, sin, and death. And may your name be hallowed. We pray for God's name to be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. And we recognize as we pray this already not yet. We recognize that this kind of universe-wide glory is only going to come with the coming of Jesus. But we pray for glimpses of it now. We pray that God's glorious character would be seen in this world, that he would be set apart as holy. And in praying that, you know what one of the main things we're praying is? We're praying for salvation. Because one of the clearest glimpses of God's glory and the hallowing of his name is when people repent of their sins and trust in Jesus for salvation. So this is a prayer for the gospel to fill the world. Hallowed be your name is a gospel prayer. To say the Lord's prayer is to imitate Jesus, our elder brother and our savior who longed for the glory of God above everything else you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus longing that his Father's name would be glorified. To pray the Lord's Prayer, we must be made new and redeemed through faith in Jesus. On our own, we all desire our own name and our own glory above all else. Like what was read in Ezekiel, we, we, we profane God's name. We need a new heart if we're going to worship God and honor his name. And the gospel comes to us and it reveals our selfishness and our sin. It reveals that, that God has sent Jesus to pay for our sins through his death and to raise us up to new life through his resurrection. A new life that is lived for God's glory and for not our, not our own. This longing for God's name is a mark of the true child of God. And so I ask, do you long? Do you long for God's name to be hallowed in this world? above everything else. Let's be those who pray against the profaning of God's name and who ask that his name would be hallowed, that it would be hallowed in us individually, in, in the church, locally and worldwide, and in the whole world, and that it would happen now, here on earth, just as, as it is in heaven, as we wait for the day when that is a reality. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We long that you would be seen as great and as glorious. We see the way your name is profaned. We see the way that your character and your name is drugged through the mud. We see that people deny that you even exist and we long that that would cease. And we long instead, Lord, that people would know you. God, fill this earth with a knowledge of you. Let everyone who has breath praise you. And Lord, start with us. Start with us as individuals and start with us as a church. Lord, may we represent truly all that you are. Lord, only you can do this by your spirit. And so we ask all this in the strong name of Jesus, amen.